You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. Well, we continue in our preaching series uh, through the book of Hebrews, and it makes sense, and by God's providence, that we would come to talk of Sarah and her faith, uh, the wife of Abraham. And if Abraham is known as the father of our faith, then Sarah would be the mother of our faith. We're going to be looking at briefly at her story, a couple verses in Genesis, and then in Hebrews, our passage that commends her for her faith. And this is good. This is God's good word for us. Uh, We'll just read these three verses in sequence, Genesis 17, and then Genesis 18, and then Hebrews 11. So let's go to Genesis chapter 18, starting in verse 15. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, You shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? Looking at Genesis 18, verse 9 to 15. And they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you, about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. This is God's word. Hebrews 11 is this amazing catalog of characters in the Bible who are commended for their faith. And each person, we see a different characteristic of faith, a different angle of faith, a different vantage point on which to look on the nature of faith. And Sarah's situation is extraordinary. We learn of Sarah's situation in the book of Genesis. God's promise comes to Sarah that she will bear a son, and from this child will come nations upon nations, and kings and queens will be born from her. And with Isaac, this son to be born, God's blessing will flow. His promised blessing to his people to build a nation to which he will be their God, and they will be his people will come from Sarah. It's 
common to wonder what your children will look like and be like and what vocation they might occupy when they are older, how they might act. God tells Sarah, nations will come from you. Kings will come of you. More more nations and people than sand on the seashore will come of you, and my blessing will be with these people. But there were two things working against Sarah, most obviously, when this promise came to her. Clear evidence of infertility. Never able to conceive. And she's 90 years old, postmenopausal, no physical mechanism uh, from which to become pregnant. So pretty big obstacles for Sarah. But God promised to her, from nations will come of you. And now Sarah's situation might be extraordinary. Extraordinary situation, hard to relate to in a sense of, well, has God promised me some monumental, huge, improbable, hopeless promise? Sarah, of course God's promise came to her, but this is extraordinary. But her struggle of faith is common to us all. Her situation is extraordinary, but her struggle of faith as a person who receives God's word is common to us all. Here's the struggle of faith for Sarah that's common to us all, put on full display for all of us here, no matter what we are going through, and it's summed up in this question. Can God be trusted? No matter what your situation is, no matter what Sarah's situation is, we can see it as extraordinary. We can see it as kind of a big deal. No matter what you're going through, a promise has come to you. It's the same question for all of us. Can God be trusted? You may not be struggling with what Sarah is struggling with. Maybe you are. Maybe you're hoping God for certain things. Like Sarah, maybe yours are different. Maybe you even feel like your, your things are bigger than what Sarah was going through. Big or small, the issue is the same. The question is, can I trust God? I've never been properly diagnosed with this disease, but I have CMS, chronic mistrust syndrome. Uh, anybody else have that? Raise a hand. Yeah, okay, we got a few. Yeah, just chronic mistrust. God, others, promises. I need the evidence. I need you to prove it. Prone to doubt, prone to wonder if God will come through the way he says he will come through. Struggling to wait in trust. Struggling when things don't go the way I hope they will go, that that things will work out for my good as God has promised. Fearful of a, of a disordered life. Contentment in, in, in areas of life that I can control and predict. If I can't visualize kind of the steps of my life and the outcome of those actions, I become nervous, anxious. I wonder if you struggle with that too. And when you don't trust people, your relationship with that person can never really go beyond a certain level of superficiality. When you don't trust God, our relationship with him will also not go beyond a certain level of superficiality. God desires a deep and intimate relationship with us to fully know him as, he, as we are fully known by him. To be so sure of his love and his faithfulness that we have no doubt in our mind, no matter what is going on in our life, that God can be trusted. And yet there's all a little CMS in us as well. 
Our faith becomes fruitless when we lack trust in God. We don't have a solid foundation on which to stand. We don't believe God. And so we take things in our own hands. We, we control our lives. We control people. We, we try to manipulate God. We manipulate others. We don't step out in faith. Sarah finds herself in this situation, a struggle of faith, struggle to trust. And initially we see in Genesis a real lack of, a lack of trust in God. And then Hebrews shows us that she's actually commended for her trust in God. And so we can see through a snapshot of her life, we see growth. We see a growing trust in God, moving from a place of unbelief or mistrust in God to a place of faithful, confident, courageous trust in God. And I would like to know, what did that journey look like for her? How do we get to that place? Us who are prone to mistrust God, how do we get to a place of real trust in God? And so we'll look briefly at a few things here. We're going to look at the obstacle of, of, of trust in God. We'll look at the foundation of trusting God, what it all rests on. And then we're going to look at the fruit of trusting in God. Let's look again at some of these obstacles of trusting in God that Sarah faced, and maybe we'll see some of these common obstacles in our lives, why it's hard for us to trust in God. So when Sarah hears God come with this promise to her, she laughs. And let's be honest, who can blame her? Sarah, you have every evidence in all the world and medical community and biology to to give unequivocal evidence that you are beyond the ability to bear children. But I tell you this, you will have a son this time next year, and he will, he will come from him will be nations of people. She's 90 years old, postmenopausal. Oh, and your husband is, as she puts it, as good as dead, <laughs> right? I don't know what that means, right? You're as good as dead. What does that mean? We'll talk about that on Father's Day. But Mother's Day, so, and because she was unable to have children, uh, the words of God to her only fueled her discouragement. You ever have that too? So when you're in a hard spot, you're discouraged, you don't see how God can bring you out of this hole of despair, and, God, and, and someone comes to you with good words. It's not always encouraging, is it? Sometimes it could just fuel that discouragement. I don't need those promises right now because what I'm living in right now is an existence of not obtaining God's promises, not feeling good, in a place of mistrust. And you just telling me that God can be trusted just fuels the discouragement. That's what's going on with Sarah. She's in a place, a really tough place, and God comes to her and gives her good news. And she is even fueled in her discouragement. She laughs, and it wasn't a laugh of scorn or mockery. It was a laugh of unbelief. Coming from a tired and discouraged woman. Why didn't God give them this promise when they were 18 and 28? You ever think that? That may be more believable. They're like, so we just continue to do doing what we're doing, right? <laughs> Newlyweds. So we just keep doing what we think about all the time and want to do, and and, and, and that's what we're going to do, 18 and 28, at the just prime birth, you know, child birthing years. But God had different plans for Sarah, and God is intentional in bringing this promise to them when they are old. Because God often leads us into the impossible. He leads us into impossible situations to show us that all things are possible for him. 
so that when God does show himself faithful in impossible situations, we will know that not only is God faithful, that he can do all things, that all things are possible for him, but that also all good things come from him and we are completely dependent upon him. He often leads us into places of exhaustion. God often leads us into the wilderness, into dry places in our life, into places of despair, so that he can in those moments do his best work to show himself as the only one who can truly strengthen us and give us what we ultimately need. In Genesis 18, God said, is anything too hard for the Lord? Because the, the, the mother and father of our faith, he is wanting to test them, to strengthen them, and to mold them into people who grow into to being people who have no doubt whatsoever that God can do the impossible. For nothing is impossible for the Lord. The answer is no, but he wants Sarah to know this. He wants you to know this. So he creates circumstances that are impossible. I've reflected at times on why God chooses to act this way. Why does God make things so difficult for his people? Why not bring this promise when they were 18, 28? Why does God make things difficult for his people? Consider a few examples. Gideon was a judge of Israel. Called by God, God came to Gideon and said, I want you to protect my people from these war-hungry invaders called the Midianites. And the Midianites are 120,000 men armed with swords and shields. And Gideon, I will protect you. And here are 300 men to fight against 120,000 war-hungry rebels. To make it more interesting, Gideon, these 300 men will not have swords and shields. And he says, what will our weapons be? Here's a trumpet. I'm not kidding. This is in the Bible. Here's a trumpet. Here's a trumpet, Gideon. Here's a trumpet. And I want you just to play your musical instruments. The enemy was so confused and so baffled by these 300 men playing their trumpets they started to kill each other. Out of 120,000, only 15,000 men were not killed by one another. They went mad. And they slaughtered themselves, and 300 men killed 105,000 men with torches and trumpets. A little vindication for our band people here, okay? (laughs) Why didn't God give Midian... Or why didn't God give Gideon tanks? Why didn't he give them ballistics? Why didn't he give them weapons of of mass destruction? Because he says, nothing is too hard for me. And if I've given you a promise, you can trust me no matter what you face. Mary was a virgin. Nothing Nothing is too hard for God. Lazarus was dead because nothing is too hard for God. Sarah was postmenopausal and infertile. Abraham was on the verge of death, it says. Why? Because nothing is too hard for God. 
And this is where God often will do his best work. Why does God seem to push his people further and further into impossible situations, into the wilderness, into despairing places? Because he is wanting to mold us into people who know that our God can be trusted and nothing is impossible for him. If history tells us anything from God's word, it is this. When we see in scripture that an impossible situation comes upon God's people. God is about to do something amazing. A lot of situations like, there once was a woman who could not have any children. Oh, I know where this is going. We know where that's going, right? There once was a person who never walked in their whole life. There once was a person who dot, 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 whatever situation is, whatever, whenever we look into these, the narratives of God's word and we see there once was a person in great despair. We see it in God's people in Egypt. We see there once were God's people who grew to millions and were enslaved for 400 years, but God had not forgotten his people. And you think, I know where this is going. If we know God and we know his character, we know his nature, we know his promises, we know his track record, no matter what can come up in our life, no matter what situation of despair, we know that God can be trusted. Richard Lovelace puts it this way in his book, Renewal as a Way of Life. We cannot move towards God until we are displeased with self. Now, I want to bracket this a little bit, kind of explain what that means. It doesn't mean that we ought to come to a place of loathing oneself or hating oneself. He means that acknowledging our own depravity and weakness is the catalyst towards moving towards God. Understanding that in an impossible situation, we do not have it within ourselves to bring us out of that, that we do need God, we're 100% dependent on God, that is the catalyst for moving towards him. And we cannot move towards God genuinely and really in faith until we realize we absolutely need him. And so we come to a place of displeasure with what we have to offer. God, I can't be this person you've called me to be. I cannot be the, the, the perfect mother, at times even the faithful mother. I cannot be the perfect or faithful father. I cannot be the best friend. I can't even be the, the example of the good kind of Christian I want to be. And when we find ourselves displeased with our own track record, that is meant to lead us towards God. And he says, is anything too hard for me? And we say, no, nothing is too hard for you. God works this way to remove any doubt in our minds of his ability to do whatever he desires, regardless of our ability. Whatever he desires. So our primary obstacle in trusting God is despairing in our circumstances because it's too hard for us. What was Sarah's number one obstacle? Despairing in her circumstances because it was too hard for her. I can't do this. I can't do this. There's no way this can happen. And God sees that despair. He understands that despair. And he would say, well, you're right. There was, no, there was no debating that. I know you can't do this, but I can do it. And this is the promise that has come to you. So our number one obstacle is really ourself. It's really looking at God's promises and then assessing ourselves in our ability to accomplish that or to obtain that promise on our own. And God says, this is about me and my work in you. Do you trust me? 
We're used to finding satisfaction in ourselves, not in God. We're used to finding satisfaction in our ability and what we can do, finding pleasure in that. God wants to mold us into people that find our pleasure and satisfaction in him. And so Sarah shows us this obstacle in her own life and her wrestling with it, and then gives us evidence through, our, through God's word, the foundation of this trust. Where, what's that bedrock kind of starting point of trusting in God? What's the foundation? The question um, is not, do you trust in what God says to you? But the question is, do you trust God? And this is the whole secret to the whole issue of trusting God. Consider Sarah. When she dwelt on the promise, it seemed altogether impossible. When she took her thoughts off of the secondary issue of like the promise that would come and put it on the primary issue, which was God himself, the difficulty seemed no longer to disturb her. Famous theologian and Puritan John Owen said, when God promises things to us, the object of that faith is not in the things promised, but in God himself who promises. So a lot of times when God will say, this is what I promise for you. I promise for you a nation. I promise for you a child. It could be very easy that we now make our hope in that child, in that promise, in that blessing from God. But God says, I don't want the object of your focus and faith to be in that fulfillment of the promise. I want it to be in me who promises. I want it to be in me. And you know that I am trustworthy. You know that I care for you. You know that I am capable of helping you and empowering you in all the ways that I'm leading you. And so the issue isn't like, when will this promise come? Or what, what steps do I need to take in, for, in order for it to come? It is in fixing our hope on God. If we trust in what God promises without being fixed on God himself, we make an idol of those blessings. We'll always just think about those blessings. I have to have this promise. I have to have this promise. I have to have this promise. When will it happen? When will it happen? And then we make that, that promise, that blessing, our idol, something that we worship instead of worshiping God. Someone who's helped me tremendously in, in my own personal walk and trusting with God is um, my wife, Janae, and mother. Sorry, I didn't ask for permission for this verse. She's better than me in, in most ways. Trusting in God is one of them. Uh, showing grace to another, other people is another, and generosity is a third, and compassion is a fourth, and just general all-around reasonableness is a fifth. And, and, and w- <laughs> trust in God is a difficult thing. And she's provided some great insight into this. I, I, I remember it from a conversation long ago. We desire to trust, when we desire to control things in our life, Trusting God, desire for control, and experiencing his power and his love go hand in hand. And when we don't trust, we worry. When we don't trust in God and trust in his faithfulness, we start to worry about everything going on in our life. It's hard to overcome that despair. It's hard to kind of move on in our life. It's hard to grow when we're constantly in a state of worry. And this is where Sarah was. Her belief led to worry. When she started to consider her circumstances, she answers God with, well, my husband is as good as dead and I am old and beyond my childbearing years and I've never been able to have kids. So she starts to worry about her circumstances. And he says, is anything too impossible? He doesn't, God doesn't enter into some kind of like uh, self-talk and kind of some, some 
uh, kind of pop psychology, like mechanisms, like, okay, what are your thoughts right now? He just says, do you believe me? Do you trust me? That's where you need to focus on. This is where Sarah was. And he pushes her towards this original plan more and more. You're going to bear a son. Trust me. He didn't settle with her. He didn't compromise. He didn't say, you got a good point. Like, I didn't really think of that. No, he says, by this time next year, you're going to be holding your son. God pushed Sarah towards himself. The difference between, the difference God wanted Sarah to see is this. Sarah, this will not come on your strength. The fulfillment of the life I've called you to will not come on your strength. It'll come on mine. And that's why it says that, that Sarah was commended in her faith because it says, by faith, Sarah trusted God and received his power to conceive. God, the power came from God, not herself. This is where Sarah would eventually get. It's a painful place to be, from a painful place to be, but a good place to be when you are despairing and in, utter, in a place of utter need for God. A good place to be for you, and I, and I, and I hate to say this because it's a despairing place. I say this with, like, full compassion. A good place to be in your life is to cry out to God and say, God, I feel like I have nothing else to give. I don't want you to get to that place. I don't wish for you to get to that place, but this is where God does his best work. When we cry out to God and say, I feel like I have nothing left in me, that's when we know it'll be on God's strength. That's when we know his power will be perfected in us, made perfect, not through our strength, but through our weakness. And if we know anything from history of how God's work, it is how he works, it is here in these moments, he is about to do his best work on us when we cry out and say, I feel like I have nothing left to offer. That's when God rolls up his sleeves and he says, it's my turn. You stop trusting in yourself, you stopped relying on yourself. You have stopped depending on your own strength and character. Now your eyes are on me, and you are going to see me do the impossible. And Sarah would eventually get to this place, for Hebrews tells us she considered him faithful who promised. It doesn't say, well, Sarah finally got to a place maybe thinking, okay, I think this might work. I think this will happen. No, she considered God and believe that he was faithful. And we know that this bears fruit in our life. When we even seeing the obstacles and we look at God as the foundation of our faith and his character, we know that this bears fruit in our life. Sarah laughs again. What does some of this fruit of trust look like? In Genesis 21, we didn't read, but Genesis 21, 6 says this. Later, this is after she has a child. He's a year old. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. Irony? Yeah. Sarah laughed when God promised to her, and now she's laughing again, but for different reasons. She once was a person who was laughed at. Now she's being laughed over. So she says, I now am the person that people are laughing over, and that's a difference from someone laughing at. 
To be barren, to not be able to have children then was a sign of God's displeasure among the people. They were scoffed at and they were ridiculed and they were laughed at. And Sarah says, I used to be laughed at as mockery and now I'm being laughed at with joy. Because now I'm laughing with delight in God's faithfulness. Now people are seeing God's faithfulness and they are laughing with joy and pleasure and delight in what God has done. And she is saying, look at what God has done. He has done the impossible. God is good. He delights in taking what is weak and giving it strength. He delights in taking what is dead and giving it life. The path to trusting in God will never take us around our problems, but always through them. And that's the difficult path that God calls us on. Lack of trust in God is like a a virus that is passed down to every man, woman, and child. Our natural disposition is one of mistrust. It is a disease that is built into our DNA. Prone to wander from God, prone to distrust God and not believe him. All people except one. And that person, having lived a life of absolute confidence in God's promises, trust in his father, gave us a reason to replace our doubt with faith. Because it's Jesus who trusted in God his father fully and completely, and he delights in us continuing to do that. Jesus says, my father is trustworthy. You can trust in him. What is this trusting in God look like? It is this, trusting in God is developing through Christ an unshakable confidence in God's absolute goodness and perfect love no matter what we may experience in this life. It's, and, and we are on this journey of moving towards a deeper reality of this, growing towards this, developing this. We see Sarah at a place of, of mistrust and then a place of faith. And probably many times of back and forth, right? And so we find ourselves on that same journey. But we should know where the, where the mark is. Where is it? Is it in our strength? It is, okay, I need to put my eyes on God's promises. I need to trust in him. Trusting in God leads to strength. It, it leads to hope. It leads to love. It leads to contentment. It leads to peace. These are some fruitful fruits of faith, fruits of trust. You may have a similar story like this, a place of mistrust to a place of trust in God. Every Christian who has a relationship with Jesus should say two things, at least. One, I have, I have found God. More accurately, understand that God has found me and pursued me and taken hold of me. And he's given me a new heart and, and a relationship has begun with him. So every Christian should say two things. I, I, I believe him and, and a relationship started at some point. I'm, I'm walking with him. And the second thing that every Christian should say is, and I am actually still looking. This means that all Christians are still searching for how to know this reality of God's faithfulness more fully. Not something in addition to Jesus, 
to move on from Christ, but something deeper about this. I'm still growing. Yes, I have a relationship with him, but I am not perfect, and I haven't gotten to this place of unshakable faith, an unshakable trust. As we grow, we learn, and we seek, we find ourselves in times of struggle. We find ourselves in places of setbacks. We find ourselves in places of disappointment and pain, either inflicted to on us by other people or something we inflict on ourselves by our own sin. We find ourselves in places of exhaustion and despair and confusion. Maybe you're in this place right now where you're just, yeah, I'm in that place. I, I'm getting a, a flare-up of my CMS. It's just, whew. here it comes again, and I'm just in a bad place. Maybe you're there. This is where God meets us. And I want to leave you with some of these encouragements so that in that place, you would see that God is not wanting to take you out of that conflict and around it, but he's wanting to take you through this with him. Here's where we can go. First, invite God to work in you. Just do that simply. Just invite him in. Say, God, I feel like I'm alone in this process. I'm all alone and you're kind of at a distance. I don't feel connected with you or communing with you. I don't feel close to you right now. And it takes some of our just acknowledging God and saying, God, will you, will you come into this? I invite your presence and your work in my life because I'm hurting. Lack of trust in God always says, you know, don't put me in a place in my life that I can't handle myself. You ever do that? We need to trust God beyond our own abilities. Lack of trust says, I don't ever want to be in a place that I can't get out of it myself. And so we never invite God in, but we're in a place where we need God, and so we invite him in. Sarah demonstrated this when she gave Abraham to her servant, Hagar. So Sarah said, okay, God has given me a promise that I'll have a son, and from this son will come many nations that will bless the world. And it still hasn't happened. Abraham, husband, have a child with my friend. And Abraham, the good husband that he is, says, yes, dear. <laughs> right? We'll talk about that on Father's Day. Okay? <laughs> he says, okay. Okay, I will do that. Right? An act of unbelief on Abraham's part as well. He should have said, sweetheart, it's hard to grow. It is hard to trust. It is hard to be on this long path of obedience waiting on God. But he has given a promise to us and he is always faithful. Let's not deviate from that path. He will provide. He will take care of us. He didn't say that. He didn't trust and she didn't trust. She was in a place of confusion and despair and she didn't invite God to work in that. She took things into her own hands, and we need to trust God. When you see God working on you, celebrate those times, trusting in his ongoing process in your life. It's ongoing. The second thing is confront your doubts. Are there areas of worry in your life or areas of control in your life that are hindering you from trusting in God? What is that thing? What is that idol? What is that desire? What is that thing that you love or fear or hate so much that is keeping you from trusting in God. Reflect on those things. 
Don't pretend they're not there and ask God to give you the power to endure through those doubts. Yes, God, I don't see how you'll make this better. That's, I'm, I'm lacking in trust here. I'm afraid that this will happen. I love this too much. I hate this. You can get to know your idols of your life by asking those three questions. What do I love? What am I afraid of? What do I hate? When Sarah's faith teaches us is this, you don't have to have a perfect faith in order to have a trusting faith. You can have doubts. You can struggle. Invite God into that. Acknowledge those things to him. That's what faith does. And out of mercy, he does not exploit our weaknesses, but he strengthens us. Lastly, here's what we should do is seek rest in Jesus. It's easy to forget this. God told Abraham to name his son Isaac. And Isaac, do you know what Isaac means? It means laughter. It means laughter. God delights in reminding us about his faithfulness. And he shows us his faithfulness no better than in the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. To say to us, my love will be poured out for you. My grace will be given to you. I will never leave you. I will give my only son to you. And, it, and, and, and the ways he's faithful in our life become like monuments in our life. And he wants to tell Sarah, do you remember when you laughed when I told you you'd have a son? I want you to name your son Laughter. So every person that walks up and says, what a cute boy, what's his name? And you say, Laughter. And they say, why is his name Laughter? And you say, it's a long story. <laughs> every single time she utters his name, she's reminded, is there anything too hard for God? God. 